Right, thoughts of self-discovery and personal change can often be overwhelming, can't they? I feel like they get put in the too hard basket. I mean, where do we even start? Dr. Amanda Furyland is the founder of Your Life Live It, and she has worked with thousands of clients around the world to achieve personal change. Amanda has now put her expertise into a book. It's called Knowing You, The Difference That Makes the Difference. Dr. Amanda Furyland is with me now. Good morning, Amanda. Good morning, Francesca. It's great to be here. Oh, look, thanks so much for your time. Is it easy to make a change in life? We find that it is. Um, There are some conditions that need to support that, and that is that the person needs to be absolutely ready to change. And what I mean by that, they may have tried other uh, things, they may have tried different modalities, and they've just kind of had enough and, and at the wit's end. And it's just like, I'm really ready to change. That's the first thing. And the second thing is that they need to be very clear on what it is that they want instead. Uh, one of the things that we notice when we work with clients is every, our clients know what it is they want to move away from. Uh, they're very clear about that, but they're not quite sure what life looks like if that's deleted, um, what is it they're wanting to move towards? So those are really the two conditions that we find allow somebody to make really, um, un- what we call it unthinkable change, because they actually can't think about the change until the problem's been deleted. That's really interesting, because I think a lot of people might feel like they're stuck, Amanda, but almost because they're just getting on and dealing with you know the stresses of day-to-day life, often don't have the time to actually stop and try and work out what it is you do want. Yeah, and I think that, you know, therein lies the problem. I think the book um, that I've written is is about what we really believe about ourselves. And um, you know, some of the top limiting beliefs that we work with and have worked with since 2005 are things like I'm not good enough or I'm not worthy. And so there's this temptation <clears throat> for people to think, well, you know, it doesn't really matter. This is how I am. And, and that's the I'm not good enough or I'm not worthy limiting belief kind of, you know, showing it's showing itself in that person's life um so there's this let me look after everybody else make sure everybody else is okay um because you know this is just me and and i just you know life's not that bad uh, and therefore i'll just mumble along as i have done and and yet that's that's an, an illusion because actually change particularly a belief change doesn't take very long it actually takes about 30 minutes uh to do the process with a client so you know it's it's quite sad when um, my oldest client i've worked with was 82 and when we did the belief change um which was she believed that she was unlovable um she just said she got cross and she was like oh my goodness i can't believe that it took such little time and i've carried it since i was a young girl so it's quite it's quite sad in many respects, but that's the limiting belief showing showing itself. And you talk about, as you say, it can take literally thirty minutes to change that belief. What a person believes is down to neural coding. Is that right? Explain that to me. Yeah, it's it's actually down to between the first, well between zero and seven years of age is when um, we are effectively living life in what we call theta brainwaves so that's that's almost like a hypnotic state and that's purposefully done it's quite a clever device because it allows a child to absorb everything from its environment uh, you know i've got two little boys uh, twin boys that are 4 years old and they are in we i, I live in portugal um, i'm here in new zealand at the moment but they're in a full portuguese immersion school having been raised for the first you know sort of uh, two years in new zealand and they are bilingual now so children just absorb everything um and so what happens is um the 
the limiting beliefs are really installed before the age of seven. Not not uh, purposefully. It could be just a teacher telling a child that stop being so silly or or you're really clumsy. And then what happens as an adult is that that neural network set up, that programming is already in the neurology, uh, and that person looks for all the evidence to support the fact that they're silly or stupid. And by the time the person becomes an adult, they believe that they're not intelligent, um, and they'll do everything to try and disprove that. Um, but yet, fundamentally, at the core, when they wake up in the morning, it's like, well, you know, that's because I'm stupid. Um, so it manifests that the, the the symptoms of a limiting belief manifest themselves in very different ways. The, the, the client might connect with the fact I'm not very confident or I'm not very good in a social setting. But really, they're trying to camouflage the fact that they, they actually think they're stupid. Um, so, yeah, it's those first seven years. It's actually not the client's fault. And there's a whole uh, chapter that I've dedicated to that, to explaining that to, to the reader, is that this has actually got nothing to do with you. It was all installed before you even had, um, co you know, conscious awareness. The conscious mind really doesn't develop until a child's seven. Yeah, so that's kind of how they're installed. Yes, we will come back to Chapter 4 because as the parent of teenagers, Amanda, of course, I freaked out reading Chapter 4 and we'll come back and talk about that in just a moment. Um, is, it, is it easier for some people to change their coding compared to others? Um, actually, that's a really good question. I've not been asked that before. I think as long as the conditions that I spoke about are in place yeah. and, and – the, the person is the the client needs to be com compliant so if a, if a client's coming in um trying to disprove that this is not going to work for me then there's something else going on under the radar and we call that secondary gain so what that means is that the client has a problem uh, but yet the benefits they get from the problem can outweigh the problem itself so for example anxiety might be um uh give give the client more if a person's suffering from anxiety then they, it means they don't have to go to things uh, if people know that they're an anxious person you know i can't get on the flight because I, I, just, the anxiety just was too overwhelming right. so they've kind of got to get out of jail card if you like so what we what we need to do is make sure that the client's really ready to change has absolutely had enough um, and he's really happy just to follow our instructions. And and that's the, that's it. it. It's not that it's more difficult for one person than, than another person. And it and um, it, whether that, that person's seven years of age or 83 years of age, as long as they can follow instructions it's, it's, and they're ready to change, then it's all systems go. Yeah. So it kind of comes down to working out what your core limiting belief is. Like once you've nailed that, as you say, it can be quite a quick process to um you know um Deleted, remove yeah. that and, and 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 for the brain to sort of think differently but it is actually quite tricking out tricky working out what that limited belief is because i think we'd all immediately presume it's this or that but actually it's a little bit harder to get to the bottom of isn't it that's that's absolutely true and and in fact a client might um come in and say well i think you know, I think it's the fact that I that I that I believe I'm not good enough, and and if the client can name it, then that's not it. Um, and the reason that's the case is because the limit, the core limiting belief, is out of conscious awareness. So, it, it's it, it if the 
client names it, then that's probably a very great telltale sign to what it possibly could be. Uh, but however, it's it's housed in the unconscious mind. So in the book, what I do is take the reader through um, a series of really interesting exercises of self-discovery, which is what we do in session. So actually, it's true to say that that getting nailing that core limiting belief is where most of the time goes. And the actual process itself, once you've got it, is, is yeah, literally about 20 minutes. So in, in essence, if, if a client comes to any of our neural coders and says, I want to remove this limiting belief, we'll book in three sessions with them, which is three hours worth of time. Um, and most of that is spent on discovering what the unconscious uh, limiting belief is. And, and also, um, you know, I, I spoke earlier about not just focusing on what we want to delete, but what do we want to install instead? And so we also encourage the client to become the architect of the new empowering belief. Belief. And what does that look like? You know, if it is, you know, I can do anything I put my mind to, then what's the drop down menu? If you were to kind of touch that with the mouse, what comes in? What, what are the behaviors that will be displayed on a daily basis to show that that belief's installed? Um, and so the, the client starts to have a great deal of fun thinking differently about what it is they really want instead of uh, what it is that they want to, to get, move away from and get rid of. So it is really a journey of, of, self-discovery um and it takes a little bit of bravery because i you know i, I do say it's it's going to create some discomfort and as long as you you you're comfortable with that discomfort for a little while then it will be really worth it my guest this hour is dr amanda fu ryland author of knowing you amanda you were diagnosed with kidney cancer was successfully treated for it only for your husband of 19 years to die of the same disease a year later how did that impact your outlook or mindset on life well, when when I was diagnosed with kidney cancer, you know, Frank, I have a, a really interesting um, saying, and that is that you know, I think it was Frank Sinatra that said he left his heart in San Francisco, and I left my kidney in Christchurch. Um, <laughs> so, you know, when I was diagnosed, I uh, it was a huge shock for me because I just cycled from Lands End to John O'Groats in the UK, and and also climbed the National Three Peaks uh, to raise money for charity. So I was probably the fittest I'd ever been in my life. So it, it was a massive curveball. And I, I literally um, unconsciously made a decision to use the tools that I use with clients on a daily basis. And so I navigated that really quite well. And, and the way I approached it was, hey, look, this is not anything I chose. I can't control it, but I can control how I respond to the, the information. And I decided to look upon it as an adventure that I hadn't chosen to go on, but I was on it anyway. So I might as well enjoy it and look at it through childlike eyes. Um, and that led me to discover lots of things. Like I, I got to meet the team before they operated on me. Um, I, I saw the operating theatre because I'd never seen one. I even climbed onto my own operating table. Um, and the anaesthetist was was really bemused by this because she said, this is the first time this has ever happened. I've had a request to actually see the operating theatre. So it allowed me to enjoy that adventure. But then when Keith um, passed away, was diagnosed and then passed away, I was really angry at the universe. I was like, you know, well, why me? And it felt as though life was happening to me. Things were being done to me. Why has this cancer, you know, appeared twice in my life? And so, to to be honest, I I I, I decided to kind of curl up in a little ball for a while and and regroup. And and the, I think the difference for me though was the awareness that I was. If I if I continued to uh, feel sorry for myself and actually I was just going to stay stuck um, so using the tools that I've got I decided to start to craft what my future would look like and what 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 is it that I really would like to have in the 
in the second half of my life. And, and uh, you know, I was very aware that I, I'm not a solo traveller. Um, I've had three long-term relationships, um, one with a very hot fireman, one with a, I married a, a basketball player for five years, and then obviously with Keith for 19 years. So I decided that I, I definitely needed to, to meet a life partner again. And uh, how wonderful would it be if I was to be able to, you know, have children in my life? Never for a minute did I expect to witness the birth of my two babies in Invercargill. <laughs> um, because, of course, you know, well, I, I actually fell in love with a woman, which was a, a big shock. So I think in answer to your question, um, I responded to Keith's death, I think, like anybody would. Mm. And that was a, a little mixture of anger and confusion and frustration. Um, at why is this happening? Um, but the difference for me was that I knew that mindset was probably what I needed right then, but it needed to change. Otherwise, I was just going to stay stuck. Curveballs and dealing with curveballs. You talk about the importance of, of learning from them. And my goodness, we've had a few thrown our way over the last few years, haven't we? Yeah, absolutely. You know, massive global curveballs. Um, and everybody is kind of in the same boat with that, which I think brings a lot, brings a lot of empathy. But yes, lots of curveballs that everyone's experienced. Mm. Amanda, let's address that chapter I mentioned before. Um, this might freak parents out a little bit. Well, if you're a parent of a teenager like I am, uh, the chapter where you talk about installing these empowering beliefs in our children from babies. Uh, I might have missed the boat on this. Hopefully not. Tell me the importance of this. Um, I, I, I actually cannot express how important this is. Um, in fact, every time I have a group, I'm, I'm in New Zealand at the moment, um, working with a beautiful company um, called Cookie Time, which I think, you know, everybody knows Cookie Time. They, they make these amazing cookies. And uh, what I love about um, the work that I do with organisations is that I, in many respects, I'm trusted to go off piste a little bit if, 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 uh, if I wish to. And every single talk that I do, I talk about the importance of installing these empowering beliefs in our little ones. Now, if we can get them before the seven that's fantastic um and i will talk to you about teenagers in a second um but essentially um I mean, we talked about that programming period before zero and seven so sarah and i my wife and i uh, had this awareness around empowering beliefs and so what i did was created i created a little hypnosis on a loop um that i recorded and once sarah had got past the three month stage in pregnancy because between zero and three months you, we really shouldn't bother the the, the baby because it's there's a lot going on and it can get a little bit cross with us um so after three months though you know you're all good to go so we literally played this recording every single day to our to our babies we didn't know what the sex was we knew we were having twins but we didn't know uh, what sex and then once the babies were born two little boys um we literally just verbalized this when we they were having a milk feed um and we, we decided to install things like you are kind you're intelligent you have everything you need inside of you you are worthy you are lovable and, and you're loved by and then name some various characters in their life and, and this was literally you know just something that we would share every single day with them now therefore we still do it um and what's lovely is they've started to put their own little gestures to it so you know when we say you are happy they do a smiley face and you're intelligent and they pat the head and you know you're lovable and they they um they they put their arms around themselves and give them a hug give themselves a hug so i think it's really important because what we're doing is consciously and purposefully installing empowering beliefs in that child's neurology before the age of seven um, and therefore we're we're building up you know sort of seven eight really core empowering beliefs that that child will 
will start to believe. And, and, and we're already seeing the results because Jasper, one of our twins, um, he loves horses. And he, he was saying to me the other day that, you know, ponies are bigger than horses, mummy. Um, and I said, well, Jasper, you know, that's that's interesting that you notice they've got different sizes. And he said, I'm a clever clogs mummy and I know the difference. And I was like, well, that's the intelligent piece coming out. Um, so we're starting to see the evidence. And, and that, so that's how a parent can install between zero and seven is just to take that time to um, tell that child on a on a hopefully a daily basis, um, all the things that the parent wants that child to really believe about themselves. Um, the other thing I think is important is it kind of stops the um, the white noise of the I love you. You know, when you, when you put your child to bed and I love you and you give them a kiss, you're actually spending time with them doing some really imp important and powerful installations. So that's between zero and seven. Um, now, when we come on to teenagers, that that won't work because they'll they'll say, well, you know, Mum, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, this is this is a bit crazy. What are you talking to me like that for? Um, so there is a thing, and this is not something I developed, there is a thing called sleep talk that was um developed in Australia. And I talk about that in my book. And essentially what you can do is when one of your teenagers are sleeping, is just, you know, uh, rock into the bedroom very quietly, sit beside them and literally just talk to them. Just um, say what it is, you know, you, you are you are kind, you're intelligent, you can do anything you put your mind to, you've got everything you need inside of you, you are capable, you are lovable. Um, and just to say those things, because the unconscious mind, the part of a, that is, that is the genius, and I, you know, I talk about that in the book, is always listening. Um, and therefore the conscious mind's completely gone off, you know, uh, with the fairies and, and sleeping, but the unconscious is listening all the time. So um, that's how you can uh, start to install empowering beliefs in your teenagers. So breathe a sigh of relief. You've still got time. <laughs> got some hope. Oh, Amanda, it's just been a delight to talk to you today. Thank you so much for your time. That was Dr. Amanda Fu Ryland. The book is called Knowing You.